Hi, welcome to the Acting for Stage and Screen podcast. My name's James Harvey, and I'm the programme leader of a brand new acting degree in York, created in partnership with ALRA, the Academy of Live and Recorded Arts. It's called the BA in Acting for Stage and Screen, ALRA endorsed. More on that in a bit. The idea of this podcast is that I'll be interviewing loads of successful professionals within the theatre, TV and film industries. Lots of actors, but also people working in other areas of the industry too. Directors, writers, producers and so on. Through chatting with my guests, I want to find out about their careers, their methods, and to get an honest insight into what it's like working professionally in stage and screen. I hope you enjoy the pod. And if you're someone who wants to train professionally as an actor, then take a look at our course. Follow us on Instagram at York College BA Acting and go to our webpage to find out more. You can apply on UCAS course code BA45. We're auditioning this year and we start teaching in September 2021. Maybe you'll be with us. I'll give you some more information on the degree at the end of the pod. But for now, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Acting for Stage and Screen podcast. Welcome to the Acting for Stage and Screen podcast. Today's guest is the Olivier Award-nominated actor Gavin Spokes. Gavin has appeared in the West End over recent years in productions such as Hamilton, Company, Quiz and Guys and Dolls, and played the leading role of Francis Henshaw in the National Theatre's mega-hit One Man, Two Governors. I'm really interested today to speak to Gavin about his experiences as an actor and to find out if he has any advice for young actors trying to break into the profession. So let's get started. Gavin, welcome to the Acting for Stage and Screen podcast. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Um, so let's begin with your most recent job, shall we? Um, which has been very sadly interrupted by COVID, like so many other things for the moment. But before that all kicked off, you were playing George III in Hamilton. Um, so what's it been like to join the cast of such a global phenomenon, Gav? Um, I, I, I have never been more happy in a building. And I've been very lucky. I've done some lovely jobs over the years. But one, like, the first thing to encounter is the fact that it is an incredible piece of theatre, an incredible piece of art. So you just feel privileged to walk into the building and be involved. And I have just the best gig in the world. I'm on stage for nine minutes and <laughs> joyful. I've spent, I've been so lucky to get work, but has meant I'm on stage a lot. And it's just so nice to not be on stage, but go on a lovely little moment with an audience. Um, yeah. And it's an extraordinary piece that is at the moment incredibly important. It is. You know, particularly lives matter, particularly with politics is such an important piece of theatre and I hope as many people can see it as possible and I think many more are now because of Disney Plus yeah I, I mean I think it's like it's pretty it's not a controversial thing to say it's, it's the most important bit of musical theatre that's been written oh I don't know maybe since West Side Story in terms of like just really uh, stretching the stretching the medium you know um and and, and yeah. it's politics as well. It's it's politics are, um, as you were just saying, really so appropriate to the cultural moment at the moment. Let's talk a little bit though about those nine minutes of stage time. That I mean, that must it must be very relaxing, but it must also be kind of quite a challenge to, I suppose, stay. Well, I don't know. Maybe you, maybe it's naive to think that you'd be staying in the moment for that whole the whole time. But it must be a challenge 
Um, if, if there's anyone listening, and I don't think this is probably possible, that isn't familiar with Hamilton by now, um, George III comes on maybe three times in the show. Is that right? Um, yeah, yeah. And he's really a show-stealing role, um, but that stage time is quite small. So what's your approach? How do you stay ready to go on, ready to perform and, and, and have that moment um, with well, the audience? You have... You, it takes a long time to get into the costume. So from the half, so we go up at 7.30, from about 6.55, I've got my wonderful wig person will come and fit my wig. By that point, I've already had to put my tights on, put my, you know, different bits and bobs on. And it takes, there's a process to getting ready because the costume is so elaborate. Um, so you kind of start focusing from the moment the wig goes on, which is about 7.30. And then the show starts on the tannoy. And then I have to start walking downstairs about 15, 10, 10 to 15 minutes into the show. I have to start making my way down because there's four people waiting to dress me. So I've got, somebody passes me, I call it the helmet, but the crown. And then there's three people on the cape because it's so enormous. And then I've got somebody else that just basically checks over my costume and gives me my um, royal signet ring. So there's the, the prep time is, is kind of happening constantly. And then I don't really start thinking about what I'm doing until Farmers Refuted, which is the song before, where I start getting into gear. So yeah, so you've got your you've got your royal entourage helping you to get into that kit. Um, yeah. Do you do you find then like with because as you say it's such an elaborate costume, um, wig and makeup kind of um, combination. Does that lead you to in terms of playing that role? Does that lead to a more kind of uh, looking at the externals of the character to help you get into the character any more than usual? No. Interesting. Is it, you're already informed that you're a king from the moment you walk on, and therefore the the important of the character to the audience is that they the audience is America, and I have to go out and say to America, sorry, you you think you're going to leave me? No, that's thank you. I know you think you're going to do that, but that's that's not happening. And I've 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 been told to come out here and tell you. So that's that's what's going on with the, the first song. So it's like you're you're leaving me, really. <laughs> and and the, the the guys that created the role, Brian Darcy James, who is an incredible actor. If you don't know who he is, check him out. Like the amount of theatre he's done, theatre musicals, but the amount of screen work he's done, brilliant film work. And Jonathan Groff, both of them are experienced screen actors and you are not allowed to move in the number. You have to stay in the same place. So you can't really do much. And if you start pulling faces, it turns into panto, it turns into caricature. So you've got to play a fine line of keeping threat that is constantly um, sitting within his shoes because he, he, the man could have easily just decided to wipe out the theatre, you know. And he is the clown of the show, but to, to, to King George, he's he's the king. There's there's like it's God next. I don't. There's no kind of the status is with me. I can just walk out, and I'm going to tell you how it's going to be. And then the joy of that is every time he returns, is that <laughs> it's falling apart. 
hold on. You, so the second, so the first song is "You Leave Me." The second song is "You Left." And the third song is "You're Marrying Who?" <laughs> so, that's how the three things songs play. There's a lovely. Um, well, obviously, that's that's where the comic kind of quality of that role comes across, and um, so there's that lovely irony, I suppose, of it must be the highest status person you've ever played. And yet he's being undermined by the heroes of, of the play who we as an audience are rooting for. Um, but then the songs are so funny that we're charmed by George III as well. And then playing exactly. in London, you've got this kind of double irony of you're talking to the audience as if they were an American audience, but they're actually a British audience sort of reflecting on their own historical uh, yeah, foibles. Yeah. I mean, when playing it, you, you don't think about that layer. You think about that every single member of these people in the audience is one of your subjects. You, you own all of them. You own the building. You own the people. You all belong to me. So that there's a very clear objective to be playing through the song. And that's the joy of it is that, like we were saying, is that there are so many external factors to playing the role with the costumes and lighting um, and actually the way it's staged. But the intention of the song is incredibly clear and, and really lovely to be able to play every night because it's direct address. It's very kind of, it's a little bit of Richard III. It's a little bit like, I'm going to go and kill those people. You watch me do it. Mm. You know, how he does that. And, you know, how he does those wonderful speeches in Richard yeah. III, doesn't it? Lovely little aside with a yeah, knowing did wink. Like, did you like Yeah. <laughs> did you like that again? But, but with George, it kind of goes, I'm going to do this. What do you mean? Oh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so the watch the crumbling away. So you're saying, I mean, that's, that's obviously really... Um, good distinction to make, I think, that for a, from an audience point of view, you're appreciating these kind of um, the layers of history. From an actor's point of view, you're playing your intention. You're looking for clarity and truth from a personal yeah. point of view. Do you find it useful um, when you're playing a, a, a real sort of historical figure then? And, and one with George III, obviously immortalised previously to Hamilton in, in Alan Bennett's play and the film with Nigel Hawthorne. Do you engage at all with that hinterland? Do you read up on the real life character, or is it a case that you, you know, your scenes are largely comic here? Are you just playing the scenes as written uh, as a, as a I, pure character? I, I'm genuinely of the belief that I try and find out as much as I can if somebody's real because I've got a habit of playing real people. Yeah. Seem to play a lot of people that have existed, and whether you choose to use it in the work, it's all subtext. It's all given circumstances. It's all food and whether you choose to eat all of it is up to you but the, i think the more detail that's in the back of the brain it goes into the subconscious and what i find interesting is there are some actors like i saw olivia coleman talk about um playing queen anne is it queen anne she plays in in that um in, favorite oh yeah queen anne in the favorite yeah and then obviously this queen elizabeth in the, yeah. in the new crown yeah it, when, like when she played Queen Anne in The Favourite, they said, oh, did you do a lot of um, research about her? And she went, absolutely not. Everything I need is in the script. Mm. And that's how some people play it. They're like, well, I'm playing this moment, this part of a person's life. And here's the given circumstance either side. I know she's a queen. I know she had 17 miscarriages. So that's all I need to know. Um, you talked about playing 
another, well, lots of real life characters as you have done in your career. And another real life character you've played, this one very much still alive, is Andrew Cooper in the BBC film Brexit, The Uncivil War, um, which starred Benedict Cumberbatch as Dominic Cummins. Was that a different experience to playing a historical figure or is it all... Um, do, do, do the two have any differences particularly if they're alive or dead or not I think somebody like him in a telly of that size he even though I was quite present I didn't have huge amounts of dialogue and what dialogue I did have was very much James's interpretation of Andrew Cooper being a, a statistician a real um uh political geek and i mean that in a sense of just he is you know former head of communication for david cameron mm. he just was a he's a politically um animal but the dialogue didn't give us a chance to look into any kind of contextual personal life or anything like that so it's very much like here's here's what's on the page and that's probably enough mm. i did watch a couple of videos of him to sort yeah. of check out if there was any obvious mannerisms or, or way of talking and mm. I actually just looked a bit like him. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's helpful. You played yeah. him, I would think, you, well, my response to him was you played him in quite a sympathetic way, really. He, he was one of the well, relatively few characters in that uh, piece that came across as quite, um, quite nice, really. Was that, was that intended? Yeah, I, I, yes. But I think that's also James Graham's, uh, one of his skills is that he, as a writer, makes and even Rupert Murdoch in Ink, uh, humanity to each of these people. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it, I'm sure James at some point will do a, a, bio, a biography of Hitler mm. and we'll see them by the Hitler. <laughs> Looking forward to that <laughs> one. one. Of those people, yeah, exactly. But he's one of those very clever people. And Andrew Cooper was the guy that said, don't worry, we're going to win. Mm. Uh, remain. And um, it, it didn't go very well. Was it enjoyable bringing the, the architect of Brexit to life? Was it enjoyable? Um, I'm, I'm friends with James um, because I played uh, Charles Ingram in his mm. play quiz. Another real life and one. Another real life guy. And James told me he'd been writing this script about Brexit that was based on um, Tim Shipman's book, which was called All Out War, and Craig Oliver, who Rory Kinnear plays in the film. Um, I can't remember that title of that book but they were written very quickly after the referendum had happened and James had read both of these books and went well there's a there is an absolute story here about how the Leave campaign won and I just because I live in a place that's very 52-48 in terms of like Leave and it's quite a conservative area I wanted people to understand well, I wanted to be a part of. I didn't. I didn't want people to. We don't want to preach, but mm. I, I really thought it was important for people to see how they won the, the campaign and where the Remain campaign lost it. And I just felt that was important. Yeah. And um, I think, well, obviously James did. That's why he wrote it. It was a stunning piece of television. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those kind of touchstones i think of television of recent years that that really mm. kind of that it's in some way gives you a better understanding of the people in charge of the country even though it's obviously a, a fictionalized account 
let's step back from the specifics of that, but I'd be interested um, on your thoughts on how screen acting differs from acting on stage. Oh, that's a big, that's quite, I've been, somebody else asked me this on, 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 a, on an interview recently, and I, I kind of gave an answer that I look back and think, maybe that's not quite right. I, for me, there's, there's slightly, there is, in a way, there's no difference. Yeah. But actually, there is a massive difference. And what it's really to do with is having incredibly clear thoughts, particularly for screen acting, because a camera just picks up absolutely everything. You can't blag it in a way that on stage you can be a bit vague and sometimes your thought process can waver because a camera just picks that up and it's uh it's a it's the microcosm of, of the camera especially in close-up that that you do if you have a clear thought and you don't have to demonstrate it it's not about it's just don't demonstrate the thought have the thought and that usually is enough for screen acting mm. If and if you've got very high stakes, that's very helpful because then internally the stakes are easier to play because the objective may be more active or stronger. But James Cagney said, you know, hit your mark, look them in the eye, tell them the truth. And there is a certain amount of um, well, truth within that statement, mm. you know. Do you find it a difficult yeah. adjustment to make going between? I mean, I know you've done more stage than screen probably, but you've done a fair amount of screen work over the years. Is it a difficult adjustment or do you just sort of sit in where you are? I think, I think it was when I first started. Because you wouldn't um, have trained, I, like if we start at kind of drama school experience, you wouldn't have had, you've done a little bit of act, screen acting at drama school, but not much. So does it take a lot of time to learn? I think the more and more you can practice, and get in front of the camera and personally watch yourself back. I have some people, I don't like watching myself. I hate watching myself, but I think it's incredibly important. However, there is a counter argument to that. I heard Alan Rickman told a beautiful story um, about how he, I don't know if you've heard this, okay. when he went to America and became like the big baddie in all of those big films, it was interviewed by like one of the big magazines, I think it was Rolling Stone or something, and I said, Oh, how did you adjust from doing uh, uh, stage acting to doing film? And he said, well, I haven't watched myself um, because I was doing this play on Broadway, Liaison Dangerous, I think he was doing, I think with Lindsay Duncan. And he said, and all of a sudden I started getting offering these films. I audition for them and I take them and then I get them. And I thought, well, I'm not really doing anything different to what I'm doing on stage. So maybe I should just carry on doing what I do. And I, I quite like that, because yeah. if you're doing something right on stage, it, it will, it will, your acting will be good enough for screen. Mm. It's just a matter of practicing in, in front of a camera that you're not, you know, just being too gregarious, yeah. too, you know, it's like a point. scale, isn't it, I suppose, Put, pulling the scale it's back sc down. Where you're shooting it, you know, if you're in a, if it's a mid car, if it's a close up, or if it's a two shot, you know. But I'm fascinated by filming. I mean, I love being on set. I really enjoy it. Yeah. Some actors get bored by it, but I love it. Do you observe when when you're not needed 
in in a scene are you observing what's going on with the crew and stuff like that yeah i do and if i if there's any way i can get off set and not be in the way and i go and watch some of the better bigger well-known actors i've worked with i've done that yeah. i did that on brexit quite a lot right. i went with rory Kinnear a lot and i watched um watched watched <laughs> benedict and what did you pick up anything Gov, from those two modern masters i did yeah, um, yeah, there was some stuff from Rory, but he's he's one of those actors that it's being inside the text. It's being it's having such control and dexterity with the text that you can take it anywhere you want. Mm. To be that on top of the text that you've got all all of your machinery is able to play with it. Um, and that's important. And I I don't learn lines very well. Whereas Rory had, the, I remember he was doing this massive speech after he spoke to me and he went off and just did this big speech. And I said, oh, when did you learn that one? They said, oh, I did it last night. I'm like, what? And he said, yeah, I've kind of got a bit of a photographic brain. I went, oh. Yeah, yeah that's unfair really, isn't it? <laughs> that's exactly. I mean, he went to Cambridge before he went to Lambeth. So he's not, you know, he's not sure of a sandwich. No. <laughs> Um, let's go back to the stage the next questions I want to ask you you've been in a couple of really big musicals and uh, we'll talk about you've been part of um, Marianne Elliott's production of Company by Stephen Sondheim, you, you played Harry in that and uh, you're Nicely Nicely Johnson in Guys and Dolls for which you were Olivier nominated um, what was it like working with Marianne Elliott? She's obviously kind of the I guess the big star stage director of, of our current time at the moment, certainly one of them. Um, what was the process like with her? Uh, she is an incredible craftsman, lady, craftsperson. Sorry, what do I say? Craft Craftswoman? Crafter. I don't know. It's 2020. I feel like I should be like, yeah, on top of it. <laughs> she crafts, she she crafts theatre incredibly. Yes. There you go. She's a real... <laughs> She's, she's a real, she loves the craft of acting and theatre. And when she, she will talk about um, objectives with you till they, till the cows come home. She loves it. She'll, and she's really direct. She'll go, that's not working. Can you try doing this and give you a very clear objective that or tactic? That is so much more helpful, I would have thought, from a director than kind of going around the houses. Uh, or does it, or is it context specific? I think it's something that sometimes is context specific. Like uh, Tommy Kale, who directs Hamilton, is brilliant at just giving you like a slight analogy, mm. um, saying it's a bit like this, you know, when this happens and then that happens. You go, oh god, yeah, that, right, I see, yeah. And, and it kind of he might be in the same way as giving an objective, but he does it in more of a sort of uh, narrative mm. way okay. to you as an individual. But yeah. Marianne's very direct. Yeah. She's a big one for sort of the so social cultural research and stuff as well, isn't she? Although I don't know if that was I yeah. mean, the, I, was that important yeah. in the process for company? Um I think sexuality was mm. and uh, sexism was. Which was addressed uh, in this production, for those that don't know it, I think it was the first time, certainly the first major production of Company that was cross-gender cast, wasn't it? With uh, Bobby playing it was Rosalie Crowley. First one. Yeah. yeah. Um, how, how did you guys in the cast kind of um, 
you guys with that idea? Um, was it was it prevalent in your thinking the cross gender casting, or was it just this is who's cast, these are the roles you're playing? Uh, I I personally felt that it was the way it should have always kind of been done. What's that? And I am com- company's kind of my favourite. Mm. One of my favourite pieces, and I saw an incredible production with Adrian Lester at the Dunmire. Yeah, that was amazing. That was that I, was kind of the 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 standard. Uh, that was like late nineties, yeah. wasn't it? And uh, yeah, but this this has been a very interesting new imagining of it. Yeah, well, it, who cares that a man's thirty five hasn't got married and is having sex with three women at the same time? No. That that doesn't really matter. But unfortunately. For women, that's a different question because the the body clock and that's the stakes are higher, and that's what made it more um, motivational as a piece. Wonderful cast in that production. I mean, aside from Rosalie Craig, you had well, you had the legendary Patty Lupone in your cast, didn't you? Um, was that yeah. intimidating at all? Uh, day one, but she's one of those people. If you call her out or take the piss out of her, she's great. Yeah, she's a proper. New Yorker from a Sicilian family. She does not take anybody's fault, and I adore the woman. Mm. I, I know it sounds ridiculous. I've become very good friends with Patty LaPone. <laughs> she, she's a legend. I love her. Yeah. And it was it, was a whole cast was lovely. It was a very talented bunch of people, mm. nice people. Good, good job. It, yeah. And, and another terrific production. Um, and you played opposite Mel, didn't you, of, of Mel and Sue? Is that good fun? Oh yeah, yeah. She's like a long lost sister, oh. like but one that you really like. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, she's just she's brilliant. She's like the person you, you know. I think everybody felt they got to know the girls when they did Bake Off, obviously. But she's better, funnier, and nicer than that person on there, and I didn't think that was possible. No, that yeah, that. And she was so naughty on stage. I mean, me and her have got told off. Marianne told us off quite a lot. And I'm also a lover of a cheap gag. Yeah. Marianne is, though there was always a bit of a battle, but Marianne was right. She wanted to really play the subtext of the tension between the marriage. And me and Moses wanted to pretend that one was just farted or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got to bring those so, two ideas together to create something, the juxtaposition of your cheap gag love and uh, Marianne's artistry will no doubt have brought yeah. the best of both worlds. Um, I also, uh, oh yeah, well I mentioned Guys and Dolls as well. What, what was it like playing such a classic role, classic musical theatre role as Nicely Nicely Johnson? Uh, yeah, there's mixed feelings about that. It was a tough job, um, a lovely job, dream job, but hard, very very uh, a hard hard job because it was big sing and a lot of responsibility to do that big number every night sit down your i loved it yeah so it was a it was good but i did um i lost my voice on it so i was off the show for about i think i was off for about 10 shows all in all Mm. and that destroyed me i couldn't yeah so it was quite it was a tough it was a tough gig but i mean Amazing. What a lucky opportunity, but hard work. Did you have to do vocal rehabilitation, having lost your voice, or was it just waiting? No, I didn't lose it from, um, well, I did, it was tired, but you can kind of, 
after a couple of days of rest, usually two or three days rest, the voice will recover quite quickly if you look after it properly and you're using it properly. But I ended up being put on steroids because my voice was tired. Um, and then I sung on the steroids. And then the steroids gave me a, an infection on my vocal cords. Yikes. And it meant I had to go for a week. Yeah. Yes, yeah, but there's no rehabilitation. Um, I, I worked with a couple of singing teachers mm. just mm. to work about placing some of the notes differently. Mm. But, um, yeah. Was that Fruit. before or after the TV show of the Olivier Awards when you, you sang Sir Daniel? Oh, that was before. It was all before. It was just after Christmas and that was in April. Right. Okay. It was around January time. Yeah. And it was just. That was yeah, a big, pretty, pretty. a big moment. A big, as you say, like almost the ultimate showstopper. That that song. Um, it was a big moment on, yeah. on the awards. It's terrifying singing at the Olivier's. Is mm. a terrifying experience because you look out and you basically see. Well, the front row was Judy Dench, Ken Branner, Eddie Izzard, Prince. What's his name? One of the princes, <laughs> uh, and like and Mark Rylance. Like Mark Rylance was sat right in front of me as I sang them. Um, I dreamed last night, and I thought, oh, my God, yeah, Mark Rylance. That is. And then you're, you're nominated. I yes. had an argument with my... Uh, it was like, yeah. We couldn't hear the orchestra, because the orchestra has got, like, a string section, so you feel like it's really slow. It's, like, intensified. Yeah. Couldn't do my boat. Oh, yeah. The perfect storm for poor me, yeah. neurosis. This is poor, what a rough life <laughs> I've had. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's all relative, you know. It's yeah, but, the, the, the going for a, a drink afterwards was the best night ever. That I must yeah, have that was good. Oh, good stuff. Um, I mentioned also, Gav, that you played Francis Henschel in One Man Two Governors. Now that's uh, that's got to be another exhausting role, given the the uh, amount of stage time and the kind of the intensity of the the, the physical demands of that that role, the kind of commedia dell'arte informed um, physicality. Uh, was it exhausting to play? Was it? Was it? Or was it just a time of your life? Because you were hilarious in it. it. Oh bless you! It was both of those things. It was incredibly exhausting, physically, vocally, everything. But the best time. I mean, just the moment the show started until the moment I walked off. It was like it was like it was like being. I imagine it's like being a stand-up, a rock star, <laughs> and everybody's best friend rolled into one for two hours. Yeah. And it was just wonderful. I feel so lucky and privileged and proud that I got to do that. And I mean, I've been very, I've had a wonderful career, but that is something else. Um, yeah, we, I mean, we've sort of, um, We've known each other a long time. We've known each other since we were 18. And I, I said to you at the time, I think this is the role you were born to play, actually. It just is, it's all your kind of, um, all your lunacy and stupidity <laughs> and kind of charisma <laughs> as a performer all rolled into one. Um, so I imagined it must have been your favourite or at least one of them to have played. Um, was, it, yeah. was it difficult? Because obviously that role was originally played by James Corden. Was it difficult to step into that um, when it's been created by someone else uh, and kind of and 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 kind of nailed by that that actor as well? Yeah, I mean it was. Uh, there's a, there was quite a lot of pressure, but 
it just means you have to work harder to make the audience like you more. When somebody's famous, they walk on and audience likes them automatically, usually. Mm. So they don't have to adapt it. But like the guy who took over, because I was the third, the guy who took over from um, James Corden, a guy called Owen Arthur, who's a Welsh guy, played in Welsh and flipped the character on its head. Right. But Owen was extraordinary and was better than any of us, I think. I think he was incredible. And that made me feel like I could have license because he'd mm. taken and done with it what he wanted. Mm, yeah. I wanted to try and bring a certain... <laughs> I mean, it sounds ridiculous in something so... Um, OTT is gubs, but I tried. I really wanted to bring a bit of humanity to him, a little bit of, you know, uh, likability that was genuine, mm. not just a facade. Mm. That was what I. But yeah, no, I kind of once you've done once you've done a few shows, you're kind of like, no, it's mine now. Right. Yeah, that's good. I mean, you get such great. The show is so well written well-directed and well-performed, you'd have to... I mean, you, you get such great feedback, I imagine, from the audience in terms of in-the-moment feedback. Yeah. yeah, you'd know by the end of the trunk routine if you've got the audience or not. Mm -hmm. And that's about 30 minutes into the show, which is quite a long time. Yeah. And there'd be key laughs. If the audience would give us a nice laugh on, like, the first big gag, we'd be like, yeah, we're set for the night. And then you can take literally in your hand like, and take them on the journey with you. Sounds like a weird thing to say, but each audience has its own energy, its own voice, its own presence. Absolutely. One last role I'd love to ask you about, you mentioned it earlier, um, is the other uh, one of James Graham's plays um, that you perform in Quiz, um, playing Major Charles Ingram. No longer a major, actually, I don't think. I think that was strict... Um, no, 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 he, he wasn't, he's still... Oh, is he? Yeah, they didn't... Oh, he's still a major. Okay, well, Major Charles Ingram, younger listeners perhaps won't know that Major Charles Ingram, definitely still a major, um, notoriously cheated his way to winning a million pounds on the TV show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Um, and so that's another real-life character that Gavin's played. Um, what were the acting challenges in that production, Gav? It was... I never thought in a million years. I was asked... To seen for quiz and I was like oh okay which part and they said oh for the major and the, the challenges were to I think one reason I was cast and I don't know why but people think I'm very likeable on stage um, yeah that's weird because you're, you're very unlikable in person I've always found that exactly um, so it was important to make him likeable otherwise the audience because the audience had a chance to vote guilty or not guilty the end of Act 1 and Act 2 when they've heard both sides of the story and Dan Evans and James Graham Daniel Evans directed it they, they knew they needed somebody who was just likeable mm. that the audience would and so I would constantly be trying to make the audience like me and Dan would be like God for heaven's sake just say the words. <laughs> they all, they love you. And I went, yeah, but I'm worried that they're, they're, they're just going to think that I've done it because of X, Y, and Z in this moment. And here I feel a bit suspicious. He's like, no, just play it. Just play it. And Dan was great. He would constantly pull me back. And particularly in the humour, because there was a lot of humour in the script that James had written. Like, for instance, there was one scene, and they put it back in the telly with Matthew McCaddy and playing 
where he's washing up. And I said, well, can I, can I come into the scene with some rubber gloves on holding those little washing up brushes? And Joe and Dan, who loves a cheap cat, went, absolutely not. <laughs> and I went, oh, go on. And James is nodding at me. And James Graham is nodding at me. Go on, going, yeah, that'd be brilliant. That'd be really great. And he said, no. So the, the challenge for me in that was like, Dan was just constantly pulling me back, taking the performance down a notch in terms of like being very still, very centered, because it made me slightly more ambiguous. Mm. Um, which Charles is, and because when Charles speaks, he's incredible. It, like, I actually in, in real, I can't believe the body. I'm trying to remember how I explained it. Like Charles in real life, very, very kind of. They will go off one. He's full of tangents, and and uh, Charles is so um you know difficult. And we talk about one thing, and then and then somebody's talking about, well, I haven't got the shopping. I don't have the shopping. I didn't get the shopping. Diana, please. And and I was constantly try, aware that I was thinking, shall I play that? And Dan's saying, no, don't play it. Stop playing, just be. And that was lovely. It was joyful to have Dan constantly just on my shoulder. Mm. Just be is probably a very wise thing to tell any young aspiring actor, really, isn't it? Um, do, you, do you have any other words of wisdom before we finish this off uh, that, you'd, um, that you'd pass on for uh, anyone listening that hopes to become an actor one day? On acting, mm. on craft of acting, on, on the, the craft business. Of act Let's do one on the craft of acting and one on the business, shall we? Listening, listening, and 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 sh sharing a stage. Never be afraid to pass the ball over. If somebody else has got a, a, a if it's comedy, for instance, there's a good way to explain it. If somebody's got a gag, and you are the feed have joy in giving the feed to let that moment have land a gag throwing that ball constantly is my favorite thing on stage i love being on stage with other actors i'm not really that i love listening to other actors i love being on stage and listening and thinking oh he's played he's played that differently tonight or he's given me just something different to play off i've been i love that spontaneity so for me it's always been listening just keep listening because a lot of actors get worried about their cues and line learning. If you can just listen, everything else will take, usually will take place because your impulse will come from listening. Your impulse to speak will come from listening. Your objective will come from listening. And yeah, what a lovely thing to be stood on stage with other people pretending to be somebody else. It's just lovely. God, that's a bit arty, but I, that's how I've always liked it. I think it's pretty fair. You know, it's 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 playing, isn't it, really, at the end of the day? We talk about yeah, playing the role. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and and words of wisdom on the on the business. It's a tricky Oof. business at the moment, maybe, uh, given the uncertainty that um, you guys in the theatre are experiencing at the moment. Assuming everything returns to how we would hope it to be. What do you think is important think for them to learn? The I tell people is you've got to be in it for the long haul. Mm. It's not good enough to just do it and after two years it's not going great. Well, I'm not going to do it. If you genuinely believe you have ability and others around you, like your tutors, say you have ability, stick with it. I didn't really start working properly until I was 28, 30. 
And that's what my 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 head of acting said that to me. She goes, look, you're going to work, but you won't really work until you're 30. And I was like, what's she talking about? It's like, great, what do I do for the first 10 years? You've got to be in it for the long haul. Because then it can be rewarding. You're constantly learning. And if you are good enough and you put the work in, no, it will it will come. That's brilliant, Gav. Thank you very much. My thanks to Gavin Spokes for chatting to me on a sweltering hot day here. I think we both might be lining up a nice cold beer in a few minutes. You pass me one. <laughs> I'll send it your way. And thank Cheers, you mate. to you for listening to the Acting for Stage and Screen podcast. See you next time. Before you go, I just wanted to tell you a little bit more about our new acting training degree the BA Acting for Stage and Screen Alra Endorsed. This is a unique drama school-informed training delivered at the York College University Centre and is suitable for students who are determined to become professional actors working in today's theatre, film and TV industries. It's unique in a few ways. Firstly, because this course is created with and endorsed by Alra, the Academy of Live and Recorded Arts. Alra are one of the UK's very top drama schools and bring with them a national and international reputation for excellence in higher education drama training. Our close partnership with such a well-respected drama school will be invaluable for our training professionals. Another way we're unique is that our course is a two-year accelerated degree, so you can achieve your degree, become a professionally trained actor, and enter the acting profession more quickly and with fees of only £8,640 a year. This is because we're really conscious that the overall cost of funding degree study has massively increased over recent years, and a two-year accelerated programme will be vastly less expensive than the conventional three-year drama training route, especially when you take into account living costs, fees over the lifetime of a course, and shorter time studying before entering the profession. It's a full honours degree with 26 hours of contact time per week, and a wide range of opportunities to perform and to network with industry professionals. If you decide at the end of the two years that you want to continue your studies, then there is the possibility of studying at master's level at Alra. So if this sounds like the kind of place you can imagine yourself being, learning practically how to be an actor on both stage and screen, and getting loads of really meaningful performance experience, being seen by industry professionals, and maybe going on to do a master's at Alra, or just getting into being a working actor quicker than your peers, then you need to apply to the BA Acting for Stage and Screen Alra Endorse through UCAS course code BA45. You'll be asked to audition with us and if you're successful we will work with you to make your experience an exceptional two years which will set you on the course towards your future success. Keep following us on Instagram at York College BA Acting for exciting announcements throughout the year and do keep listening and subscribe to the Acting for Stage and Screen podcast for more conversations with fantastic theatre, film and TV industry guests in the future.